I'm Emily Hawthorne, a Middle East and North Africa analyst at Stratfor, and this podcast is brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, our premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analyses. Individual team and enterprise memberships are available at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. If you look at the the job situation in India right now, it's nowhere better off than it was in 2014. In fact, in some states, it's even worse. Welcome to Stratford Talks from Stratford.com. I'm Ben Sheen. On this episode, we're checking in on the general election currently underway in India. Some 900 million people in India are now eligible to vote in 2019. Just take a moment to think about that. And also, think about the country's current Prime Minister, Narendra Modi. He and his BJP party are projected to win when the final vote tally is complete on May 23rd. But there are so many issues at play in this election, we asked Stratfor's South Asia analyst, Faisal Pervez, to provide some guidance. Hi, I'm Faisal Pervez, South Asia analyst with Stratfor, and the topic of today's podcast has variously been described as the world's largest democratic exercise, the Festival of Democracy, or more simply, the Indian elections. Held every five years, 900 million voters are eligible this year to choose the next members for the Lok Sabha, the lower house of parliament. The elections are coming at a pivotal moment. India is a rising military power in a challenging geopolitical landscape. It's home to a rapidly expanding economy that still needs to produce more jobs. And the country boasts a larger population than Europe that seeks greater prosperity and a higher standard of living. To discuss all of this, I'm pleased to be joined today from Mumbai by Ambika Vishwanath, a geopolitical consultant. Ambika has advised governments on foreign policymaking, worked as a political scientist in the Indian think tank community, and written on water security as an external contributor for worldview.stratfor.com. Ambika, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Faisal. How are you? Doing well. How's everything in Mumbai for you? Good, good. Very, very hot right now. <laughs> so as you and I were discussing, Ambika, I think a useful place to begin understanding the current electoral climate is to go back to the watershed of 2014. That's, of course, when the current Bharati Janta Party or BJP swept to power in a truly stunning fashion by winning the first single party majority since 1984. And while Indian politics, of course, has a broadcast of characters, at the center of it all was a man named Narendra Modi, India's current prime minister. Now, much has been said about those elections as well as about Modi himself. But I was wondering, Ambika, could you begin by discussing what you think were some of the main factors that led to Modi and the BJP's victory? So um, as, as we were talking earlier, Faisal, I think there are two, two main points if one were to, to look at what happened in 2014. Um, one is the fact that the UPA 2, uh, which was the government that was ruling at that time, uh, which was a Congress-led coalition government, was riddled with corruption and a variety of different scams. And I think the 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 public was quite 
fed up with the amount of corruption that they were hearing about. Right. It's not to say that we've not had a certain level of corruption in this country, but it's what they were hearing about constantly. Um, you That then brought on this you know, this huge anti-corruption movement led by Anna Hazare and his anti-corruption bill that he sort of introduced, which brought a lot of people together, you know. Like I was telling you earlier, the people who, regardless of where they came from, you know, their religion, their caste, which, which are very important parts of politics in India, but this anti-corruption movement sort of brought them all together. So you had this on one side, and on the other side, you had this Modi fever or this Modi mania, I mean, depending on where you stand, um, that sort of came into the country where I think for the, where for the first time in, you know, modern Indian politics, you saw people voting or banding together behind a person and not a party. So India is very much about party politics. Uh, it's not about a person who you vote for, like, unlike presidential campaigns in other parts of the world. Here we vote for a party and then, I mean, you kind of know who's going to lead the party at the end of the day, either at the state level or at the national level. But in 2014, people were voting for Mr. Modi. I just think this is just such a fascinating point, uh, as you mentioned, that you had a candidate who, by the force of his personality, of course, which is taking place against a certain political context. Like you mentioned, uh, the Congress Party as part of the United Progressive Alliance, or UPA, had been in power for a decade, hobbled by corruption allegations. You have this uh, kind of national movement behind the, this anti-corruption drive, and then Modi comes right, in. Right. And, yeah. as a, and I think, as a lot of people know, Modi, of course, was coming off of a pretty successful tenure as a chief minister of Gujarat, uh, a state right. in uh, western India. And essentially the promise he was making to voters is that if you vote for me, not only will I bring a strong anti-corruption uh, emphasis to office, but also I will bring the rapid industrial development that I brought to my home state to the national level, right? Right, right. I mean, he was bringing a whole lot of other baggage with him as well, which um, people were not in favor of. Uh, there was um, the whole Gujarat riots that had happened. But, you know, at the end of the day, that didn't matter in the larger scheme of things, because one of the things that was so successful in the 2014 campaign was the way they marketed Modi. And I think that level of marketing of a politician in India has also never happened before 2014. So that played a huge part in in the way he reached out to people across the country uh, in, in a very unique fashion. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, he did, like, you know, was, was have these um, holograms of himself. He reached places in India that were impossible to reach otherwise, you know, right. and he made himself accessible in that sense to a larger population of people. And and so that really helped in his marketing of, of himself and his image and the idea of, of what Modi can do for India. So what fascinates me, and I think this is a good segue to shift now to the present uh, ongoing elections that are happening, is – 
you have this figure in Modi who is clearly charismatic and by the sheer force of his personality uh, was a dominant factor explaining why his party uh, wins the dramatic decisive victory back in 2014. But of course, Modi is one person and even if his party had a majority in the parliament, he's still operating within the broader fractious landscape of the Indian of Indian politics. And if right. we even look back at Modi's tenure over the past five years, you know, even kind of a cursory examination shows, of course, some victories, but also some misses. I would say that if you want to look at the victories, as you and I were talking about, tax reform has been a long-running priority. And the BJP under Modi was able to pass the Nationwide Goods and Services Tax, or GST. Uh, you and I have also discussed uh, this idea of India's role in the global stage and how right, Modi right. has really helped elevate India's uh, kind of profile. So I was wondering, just as the elections are coming to a close now, and of course they've taken place over multiple phases over several weeks, what have you observed in Bika that has been different this time around compared to, say, you know, the Modi euphoria that you saw in 2014? And is there anything you've seen that has been similar? I mean, there's many differences in the way this uh, election has been run um, in 2019. Um, but to, to to look at it from a broader scale before we go into some of the smaller details um, is in 2014, Modi, you know, there was this Modi mania uh, and Modi fever. And he ran a campaign that was largely based on development. You know, this concept of Ache Din, um, right. which he he came up with, which are, you know, good days are coming, better days are coming. Because the last 10 years before that, before 2014, were all bad days for India. You know? So, so this concept, you know, this hashtag Ache Din uh, really caught on and he ran this campaign on development in 2019. And it was, I mean, in a way, you can say it was largely a positive idea that he ran uh, a campaign on um, because to say good days are coming is, is a positive concept. In 2019, there's been a lot of negativity in the elections. I mean, both on his side and on the opposition side. Um and so I think this level of negativity is what sets this this election apart from the previous one um, to a certain extent. The way they, the BJP and the Modi government is running their campaign is also very, very different. I think they are facing a lot more problems than they expected to. Uh, if you if you hear some of the speeches that have been given, the kind of confidence that they had even up till last year is not as much as it is this year. Uh, the number of seats that uh, the um, some of the very high-ranking members of the party have been talking about are fewer and fewer. I mean, I think in 2014, after they came into power, if you ask them the kind of seats that they would get in 2019, they'd probably say we'd win everything, right? right. But now... They are. Uh, they're not saying that. That, that. that level of confidence is definitely less. And now this 2019 campaign is also that concept of development is not being talked about as much. He's no longer running the campaign on hashtag Achedin. 
the one other part of 2019 which has made the election i would say a little more interesting um is this resurgence of uh, of the third front so you have some of the state parties coming together to sort of try to create an alternative to both the bjp and the congress which i think is is making things a little more difficult for both these national parties that have you know sort of ruled the roost for for such a long time india is the largest country in south asia and the dominant player in a region where as stratfor's compilation of analysis and forecasting states everything that informs geopolitics can be found challenging demographics geographic diversity and contentious ill-defined borders the region is also a testament to how militancy and militarism can undermine the regional integration needed to unleash high economic growth If your business or interests include operations in India, Stratfor's Worldview Enterprise is a critical tool for understanding the risks and rewards inherent there. Worldview Enterprise provides individualized information to businesses and professionals who need to know how emerging world events will affect them, their employees, and their businesses. With customizable maps, charts, and graphs of the political, economic, or security landscape of the countries where you do business, Worldview Enterprise is an essential tool for business planning. You can learn more about enterprise level access at stratfor.com/enterprise. Now, let's get back to India's elections. What I'm thinking about now Ambika is when I when you look at India from a broader geopolitical standpoint as an entity, you see a country that has a dizzying level of diversity ethnically speaking, linguistically speaking, and even religiously speaking. and one of the challenges within that context is that you get a very messy politics and it exactly. becomes very difficult for any government in charge even if you are the BJP and you have marshaled a 282 seat majority to achieve the necessary consensus that is needed to pass legislation and part of what i had been watching for over the past few years with modi is that could the BJP with that majority try to overcome some of those internal constraints and what struck me about uh in a country like India it is unrealistic to expect that a prime minister in a 5-year term is going to somehow solve all of the problems that's just right. unrealistic yeah. yeah but as you and I were saying maybe a more useful metric is to look at how much progress has modi with his mandate made on the jobs front obviously right. in the current campaign unemployment and jobs has become another big issue and not surprisingly yeah. to me as you had also mentioned development is not being emphasized as much and instead we're seeing a stronger emphasis on the identity national security issues as well Uh, but I was wondering, could you comment a bit, Ambika, about the jobs progress, and you know, how do you think Modi has done in the past few years on the jobs front? Poorly, uh, I guess, if one were to just in one word, not as well as one hoped he would. You know, he ran this campaign on making India better. Uh, this whole model of Gujarat that he was going to replicate. which if you think about it the way the gujarat state is 
structured is so different from the entire country you know so to think that you can replicate one state model to this entire country i think was a bit um, ridiculous to begin with but commendable i guess in some way um, i am little bit of a not a modi supporter so i have to uh, lay that out i think in the beginning but i think he had some good ideas when it came to how one can improve the unemployment situation and if you have good ideas but you are just going to hold them to yourself at one at the center and not allow the people who need to do their jobs do their jobs to implement all these ideas that you have then they're just going to remain good ideas right and if you look at the the job situation in india right now it's nowhere better off than it was in 2014 in fact in some states it's even worse um right so it's i mean a, a make in india campaign is really excellent but then if you don't remove all the bureaucratic constraints that allow the companies the businesses the factories to make in india uh in partnership with um, companies and factories abroad then how are they supposed to take this idea that you've come up with and move and run with it so right. i think that that's a, a, a you know the other the other thing is that he he ran this campaign on on development and one of the key cornerstones of that campaign was this clean india right this swachh bharat um and i think it was a it was sorely needed in in india and it was a very very smart campaign um in a way but it's it's sort of details very clearly how 2014 good ideas and 2019 implementation has been so poor you can say yes india is cleaner maybe because we have more the number of toilets in this entire country has increased exponentially but if you have no water to use these toilets then what is the point of them you know there's a saying that you campaign in poetry and you govern in prose and the idea yes. that when you're campaigning you know modi made a lot of big promises and you know whether people support him or don't support him you know i think as you said these promises are essentially solutions to problems yeah and then the idea is that how do you bring those solutions into reality again against the backdrop of myriad constraints and it seems like obviously modi has a lot more work to do before ambika we move into the final segment of the conversation i think we would be remiss if we didn't touch upon hindu nationalism this is a term that is often mentioned in the same breath with Modi and the BJP and as you and I were discussing Hindu nationalism is not an invention of Modi by any means this has predated no, him no. this is yeah. part of the political fabric in India but can you comment a little bit about how the use of Hindu nationalism has changed in the past 5 years under Modi That's a very complicated question and we might need a whole other podcast <laughs> just for that one question. Let's do it. <laughs> But I think um if see if you look at it in a uh, in 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 a slightly smaller uh, not smaller but in a in a more holistic fashion um like I said this concept has not been developed by them. 
but the use of it in the last 5 years has been really exponential not at the center level but at at the state level so in in a sense modi has created a government that has created a space to allow a very negative part of hindu nationalism to flourish so it's not that they have made it but they have allowed it to increase in a way that's not healthy and then they are using a fractured country to their advantage to advance a certain agenda at some levels it's a very complicated issue i mean if you think about hindu nationalism in in no, the northern hindi speaking belt of india is very different from if you were to go down south and if you were to go to the northeast i mean in the northeast there's no hindu nationalism there is just a certain level of nationalism we are all indian right um but the very strong states that have a, a large population that have a larger representation in the parliament um you know like a like a like a up for example uh there they have this this idea is is increasing more and more and the center has done nothing to manage it and i think that's what really is upsetting people more as we turn now to the final part of the conversation let's look at the future and implications of the current elections. So of course, Ambika, there's many scenarios. Uh there could again be a BJP majority victory within their National Democratic Alliance called the NDA. There could be a scenario where the NDA gets a majority, but within that the BJP gets a minority. or there even could be a situation where the bjp loses and the opposition under the congress forms a government there's of course many other scenarios but if we just focus on those for a moment what do you think are the implications if for example we do end up getting say an nda majority within which the bjp has a minority on a whole, you know it it's it's hard to say because on one level it would depend on who uh, completes the nda government if the bjp had a minority then you have certain state partners that will come into play and depending on who those state partners are you might have a certain shift in the type of governance that you see coming out of delhi and the type of policies that you see but on the whole uh i i don't see too much of a change at least not immediately uh in the next say the next one year at least um if the bjp has a very small uh power sharing um uh, part of the nda then it it comes down to who is going to become prime minister you know if they don't bring in the seats that they can and somebody else brings in a larger majority of seats which is not likely then it then it's if not modi then who right the the person most people are talking about right now is uh, nitin gadkari from who's a maharashtrian and a, a current uh, cabinet minister as well now if he becomes prime minister i think one will see uh, quite a bit of change in the kind of policies that we we have right now 
so i i it it, it you know it's it's a complicated coalition <laughs> that will then come into power right and that's speaking on the domestic front but i'm thinking about the foreign policy front would it be fair to say in your view and bika that of course if a different configuration is in the future compared to right now we're going to see at least a change in the tone but would it be fair to say that compared to the domestic scene that we would see less of a change on the foreign policy front irrespective of who comes to power i think for the for the foreseeable future yes i i don't see a drastic change um uh the kind of personality that more, uh, the prime minister is right now uh with all of his international visits and uh, sort of cementing these different relationships across the globe uh that's very much his personality so some of that will change if there is a somebody else uh in the prime minister's office so i mean i think that level of um uh policy might change but at a at a very nuanced bureaucratic level i you won't see too much of a change in the policy well ambika i know we've only just scratched the surface of what is a vast topic in an interesting country but uh thank you so much for a fascinating conversation thanks for joining me for today's podcast you're most welcome faisal thank you Thanks for joining us for this conversation with Stratfor's Faisal Pervez and Ambika Vishwana. The final vote tally in India's 2019 general election is May 23rd. If you're interested in learning how Stratfor can help you with analytic tools to visualize and anticipate those areas in the world where your interests and operations are at greatest risk, be sure to visit stratfor.com/enterprise. We're always seeking comments and ideas for this podcast, so if you have either, please drop us an email at podcast@stratfor.com. And don't forget to take a moment to leave a review on the podcast page on iTunes or wherever you listen. And for more geopolitical intelligence, links and details about what goes into forecasting world events, be sure to check us out on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter @stratfor. Stratfor.